Well, this morning, I, um, I actually, I want to do something a little different for our scripture reading. I want you guys to turn to Psalms 127 with me. I just spent a whole week at a youth camp um, in the high school boys' cabin and got to spend time with all the, all the guys, awesome guys and girls there. And um, so this passage that Mike gave me to read is um, hitting a little different this morning. And I want you guys to see the words as I, as I read them over you uh, and follow along and, um, and hear them with me. If you, if you can't get there in time, just, just listen ahead and, and follow along this journey. You see, at youth camp, I got to see some sons get dunked by some fathers who got up early in the morning, last second, because their sons wanted to be baptized. And, and they came all the way out to camp just to, just to be there, to dunk them. And so, hear these words, follow along with me. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city... The watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. And happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they, see, when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Thank you, BJ. Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. And I know I said that earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Um, As BJ led into that text, even though I asked him to read that this morning, immediately my emotion cropped up as I was thinking about all these awesome kids that we just spent a week with at camp, and um, you guys got some really cool kids. You guys got some pretty amazing young people living in your homes, church people. You have some pretty amazing youth here in this church. And I think that this morning's text is going to really encourage us not just to love them well, but to love all the generations that are younger than them and older. This morning, our text of study will be Mark chapter 10. Boy, I feel like I have to speak softly. I feel like I'm going to blow your guys' heads off. Am I really loud? Oh, it feels really loud. You can, there we go. That's a little better. Okay, I can, now I can yell. That's, that's how I like it. Mark chapter 10. Verses 10 through, or verses 13 through 16 is our, our text for this morning. And as we open our Bibles, I just want to be really aware of the encouragement, the instruction, the correction, and the wisdom of God that we're going to read this morning. And we're going to look at a story in the life of Christ that in my experience, and maybe not yours, but in my experience, I feel has been overlooked. I feel like it hasn't been taught very well, hasn't been taught very thoroughly, and it's not my intention this morning is stand up here and, and tell you all, I'm going to do it right. <laughs> That's not it at all. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because Jesus takes this situation so seriously. He takes the situation that we're going to look at so seriously. And to lead into this, 
I think that we need to remember when we're reading the Gospels especially that living life as it was designed to be lived is seen through no clearer lens than looking at the life of Christ. If you want to know how to live life in a God-honoring way, we would be foolish to say, then you should really check out Abraham. He always did it right. You know, or as David taught, or as uh, BJ taught about David two weeks ago, you know, we, we wouldn't look at the life of David and say, there's a man that was perfect. There's a guy that just did it right all the time. If we want to know the perfect example of how to be a human being, we are going to look to Jesus. Amen? That's the one we look to. He walked, it led by the Spirit. He set the example for which Paul encourages the church to follow when he wrote in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Jesus walked in the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was the perfect picture of how to do life as a human being perfectly. Empowered by God, vulnerable to the world, and pure in the midst of it. We desire to walk by the Spirit to let him guide our lives the way that he guided Jesus through his life as well. He was fully God. He was fully man, still in fellowship with the spirit and still submitted to the father, showing us exactly how to live life here on this earth. And it sounds easy to look at someone and say, walk by the spirit. All you need to do is walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is not an easy task to be given. And the reason is because we're in a daily battle against our flesh, aren't we? If you're waiting for a new example, wait till next Sunday morning. Right? Those are the mornings where everything will go wrong. For me, it's always Tuesday afternoon. Because if you know me, you know that, that I have the Young Adult Fellowship meets in my house. So if something is going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong on Tuesday afternoon at about 4 o'clock. Everything's going to blow up. And there's a reason why. The reason is this, there is so much value in what happens amongst our young adults on Tuesday nights. There is so much value. These little ones are digging it. You, you guys wait. I'm talking about you kids this morning. We're going to get there. If anyone's peeked at the text, you know. You guys, we study and meditate upon the scriptures and we seek to live that in our lives, but the enemy doesn't make that easy and our flesh isn't making it any easier either. You guys... Paul reminds us this as we look at the scriptures and we look at scripture and we see that it is all profitable. It is all for our encouragement and our building up, but we study and meditate upon the scriptures because we agree with Paul as he reminded the church in Corinth. He looks at Israel's past. Remember the old Testament were the scriptures of the new Testament. When they talk about reading the scriptures, they're talking about reading the old Testament. And Paul says this in first Corinthians 10 verses nine through 12, let us not test Christ as some of them speaking of the Israelites did and were destroyed by snakes. By the way, death by snake is like one of my least favorite things that and spiders. Okay. So just let's obey verse 10. First Corinthians 10, 10, you're like, get it, Mike. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. And then he says this in verse 12, don't miss this. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. If you think that you're doing well, if you think that you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk and your Christian life is exactly what it should be, watch out. 
Look at your feet. Be careful. Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. We look to the word of God for encouragement and direction. And as Paul points out, for instruction, the things of the Old Testament were written, the stories and the teachings and the prophecies. It reminds us, you guys, it warns us. And when we look at the New Testament, we see the same thing. We see directives, we see encouragement, we see instruction. When we read the Bible, when we read God's word, and hopefully we're all reading it on a daily basis, and even more so as we gather here on Sunday mornings, I want to emphasize this. We need to consider. We need to consider our lives in light of God's word. Am I living the way he has called me to live? Do I listen and do I obey the instruction and the calling of God? And when we look at Jesus, is Jesus the standard that I'm living towards? Is he the example that I'm trying to model my life after? There are so many people that we want to model our lives after. We see someone that does the job that we want to do or someone who does the job really well in the that we're going into and we start modeling our lives after them why well because i want to do it well and i want to excel right if you want to excel at being a human being created in the image of god jesus is the answer you want to be like jesus and if we want to live a life that's honoring to god we are not only submitted to the instruction and the teaching of his word, but we are considering our steps because we recognize that we are in an absolute fist fight with flesh all the time. We are in a battle with our flesh. We are waging a war. And we need to check our step. Are we testing the Lord right now even by having a thought process by having a life direction that is not honoring to him, that is not synchronized with what he's called us to do? Are we grumbling against him as the Israelites did because he isn't doing things our way? That worked out real well for them. Are we consciously watching our footing, making sure that Jesus' priorities are ours? There was a time, and it's probably on the screen right now, that the disciples tried to shut down children's ministry. There was a time when the disciples tried to prevent little children, babies, from being brought to Jesus. And it's funny because we're like, <laughs> those silly disciples. <sighs> what a bunch of goofballs. Yeah, we are. We absolutely are, and we are just as prone to misunderstand and misprioritize what the Lord is doing. We need to check our feet, don't we? We need to often come to this place where we think we're doing the work, right? Lord, I'm here for you. I belong to you. Is my heart where his heart is? Are my priorities his priorities? You see, the problem that the disciples had in the story that we're going to look at this morning is they thought Jesus had more important things to do. They decided to set Jesus's priorities for him. And tell him what mattered most and what was most important. They were spiritually insensitive to what Jesus desired to do. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about being spiritually sensitive to what matters to Jesus. And I think that we 
can learn this in a really special way by looking at this text. Here's a question before we read our text. Church, are we an extension of God's blessing, enabling others to know Jesus in whatever way we can, or is it possible that we are getting in the way? Is it possible that I, right now, could be getting in the way of what Jesus wants to do? You're like, oh, Mike, never. Yeah, those of you know me are like, it's possible. Right? Because I'm a human being. I'm flesh and blood, and I struggle with sin just the same as all of you. And so we need to come to this place and say, am I getting in the way? God, am I getting in the way of what you want to do? My prayer is, as Paul said, that the example of the disciples in this situation would lend instruction for us and that we would be encouraged. Let's get to the text. Mark chapter 10. We're just going to read four verses this morning. This is verses 13 through 16. Mark records, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might teach them or touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. As the situation begins to unfold, oh, sometimes when you, when you read a text, you really just want to go for your favorite part. I'm really struggling with that right now in real time. Like, I really just want to teach the part of this at the end because it overwhelms me. Did you hear that last part? What Jesus did with these little children? Okay, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I, I am tempted. You guys... This situation begins to unfold in verse 13 so sweetly, so beautifully. Often people would bring their children to be blessed by a rabbi or a great man. They would bring them to these teachers who had spiritual insight, and they would ask for them to pray over their children. It's much like someone who comes to a pastor and asks for the pastor to pray for them. Hopefully you're asking your friends to pray for you as well, but there's something about this situation where the teacher prays over the children. This was very common. And so they're bringing these little children to Jesus for him to lay his hands on them. And it's interesting because the word used for touch, that he might touch them, it's the Greek word hapto. It's the same word that's used every time Jesus touches and heals somebody. They wanted Jesus to touch their children, to touch their young ones. Whether that meant that they were sick or whether they wanted him to bless them, whatever it was, they wanted the Lord to hold them. They wanted the Lord to hold their kids. So parents or possibly siblings bring these little children to Jesus. And there's something fascinating that Luke's account adds to this because he uses a different word for little children than Mark does. He goes a little bit more detailed. And he says this in Luke 18, 15, people were bringing infants to him, it says, so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Same, pa- same situation. But Luke goes a little bit more in detail and says, yeah, they were little children. They were babies. They were infants. They were small. Gives us a pretty tender view of Jesus, doesn't it? Think about God in human flesh holding a baby. Every single gal in this room's heart just melted into the pew. It melts my heart. And I'm a big, tough guy. I mean, 
right? There, it, it's hard. It's so, it just tugs at your heartstrings to think of Jesus holding these infant children. Maybe a picture's been done that I haven't seen. Have you ever seen Jesus holding the lamb? The, there's like some, you know, a painting, and I think there's probably several. I mean, there's a painting. It must have been in someone's house that I knew as a kid. I can't remember where I've, where I've seen it, but I, Jesus holding the lamb, right? What about Jesus holding an infant child? What about Jesus holding a little baby like he does here? That's more beautiful to me. You're like, yeah, but we're lambs. I get that. I get that. I get the spiritual picture. But this happened. This is real. These families are bringing their babies and Jesus is there. And so are the disciples. And they step in and they start stopping them. They rebuke them and they don't let them bring the children to Jesus. And they scold them for bringing these kids to Jesus. No, get them away. Stop it. They're messy. They make a lot of noise. (laughs) As we've seen. You guys, like, if any of you knows little ones, and most of us have some baby experience. If you don't, you should have some baby experience. I'm not saying go out and have your own right this second, but maybe borrow one. But you guys... (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Please ask first. (laughs) You guys, if you have any experience with babies, they're unpredictable. They're unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do. They have no sense of the moment at all. I was at a banquet with my daughter. I won't say which. When she was just a little infant baby. And Dr. Dobson's son was sharing at this banquet, and I had done some music for it. And so I was sitting right in front of the stage. And I mean, his feet were not far from me. And I don't know what got into her system. But it got out quick. (laughs) And it got out loud. And he was talking and stopped and looked down at me. I'm like, Many resort napkins were unusable after this event. (laughs) I'm shocked they let me stay in this city, actually. But you guys, that's babies, right? Every single one was like, that's not something you can control. Babies are just babies. They're just dependent. They can't take care of themselves. They require someone to take care of them. And Jesus is there, and these parents want to bring these babies. And the disciples are like, this is a bad situation. This isn't what we're doing right now. This isn't what this moment is about. I don't really know what motivated them to do this. We know this. Even if their intentions were so honorable as to prevent Jesus from needless distraction or interruption, they were spiritually insensitive. Even if they had good intentions, and I'm giving them as much benefit of the doubt as possible, knowing Jesus' reaction, reading that in the text, let's say their intentions were as honorable as possible. They still were spiritually insensitive to what was going on. And we can be the same. We can be the same way. Look how Jesus responds. This is powerful, you guys. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus is noted as being indignant. The only time. That fascinates me. That's so intriguing to me because we see him get angry. We see the word used to describe him being angry, but indignant means strong anger. And this is the only time that his anger is strongly in play. This bothered Jesus. Jesus is righteously very angry. This is what intrigued me about this passage so much. Of all the things the writers of the gospel saw Jesus respond to, this is the strongest wording of his anger in this situation. That should cause us to pause, I think. That should cause us to take note of what's going on. Jesus is really upset that they're stopping these little children from being brought to him, these infant babies. And in the place where the strongest wording for his anger is used, it involves preventing the opportunity for little ones to come to him. Preventing them from being held by him. Preventing him from blessing them. Now, there are two lessons here. And if you look at the text carefully, this isn't hard to distinguish. There is a physical lesson being taught. And there is most definitely a spiritual lesson being taught. The physical lesson is this. Little children are loved and valued by Christ. They are loved and valued by Jesus. And the second, the spiritual lesson is the simplicity of childlike faith and dependence is essential for salvation. There's something deeper going on here. The first lesson, the physical lesson, these little children, their importance to Jesus, it may seem a little basic. Of course, Jesus loves the little children because we sang that in Sunday school. Every single person who's from my generation be like, oh, the children of the world, right? We sang that, right? You guys, we sang these songs about how Jesus loves all the little children. Especially after reading this text, we would never argue that Jesus doesn't love little babies. But here's the problem. The physical mistake of the disciples betrayed, or we could say revealed, Something spiritually wrong. Them and their posturing towards these little ones to prevent them from coming to Jesus revealed that something spiritually was off inside of them. And that is the real problem. Because if we allow Jesus to calibrate and adjust and heal our hearts, what happens to our actions? They follow suit. But if you try to just do the right thing all the time, but your heart isn't knit with Christ, let me just throw this out there. How good are you guys at doing the right thing when your heart isn't aligned with Christ? Yeah, me too. Same. If we rightly understand that our salvation has been given to us as God's children by grace through faith, then we must embrace the truth that children in their receptivity and dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. I'm going to read that again. That took a long time to write. You guys, you're like, yeah, those words were a little much for you, Mike. I know I had to look them all up. You guys... We have to embrace the truth that children in their receptivity and dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. They are an example of those who come to a saving faith in Christ. They're like a physical picture of it. 
not only do children matter to God, but little ones teach us some very valuable lessons, don't they? When we allow the beauty of that loving extension of the Father to us through Jesus to restore our vision, we look at all of humanity, in this case, little children especially, as a blessed reminder of receptivity and dependence. It's a beautiful picture. It's something to be enjoyed. It's something to be seen through the eyes of Christ. They are beautiful and loved by God, and they must be loved by us. This is the physical lesson. We're going to get to the heart issue a little bit more in a minute, but you guys realize that our hearts need to be adjusted so that we can do this, that we should love on the kids around us. You guys, this is talking about infants, about small children. We just spent a week with the teens of this church and of all of life, our other church family, and as we spent time with these, these kids, you know how this feels. The older you get, the younger they feel, huh? The younger they seem. They feel like babies at times. And you look at these kids and do we love them the way that Jesus loves them? Do you love the teens, the young people, the little children in your life that God has put there? Do you love them sincerely and do you care for them? Do you see them as beautiful and created by God? We're to care for them, lead them, disciple and instruct them through all of their lives we do all this in the name of Christ. Church, there's, there's something that has to be said here. There's something that has to be said to this. Because I believe it's a natural thing to talk about. When you are talking about Jesus loving infant children, does he not love them in the womb as well? Does he not love them inside the womb as well? I want to give you some scriptures to think about because I know, and it has been since I was young, I know that abortion is a hot topic. I know that it's something that people argue and fight about and disagree about. And I'm open to having conversation with anybody about this. But can I say that I want to show you verses that I believe prove that abortion is wrong. Let me show you these two verses and I want you to consider this. And I recognize that probably most of the people in this room would agree with me. But I recognize that maybe someone watching YouTube right now or someone listening to this podcast may not. Let me show you what the scriptures say. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says this, as the prophet speaks about his calling. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, and this is the Lord speaking to him and calling him to his service. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before, God says, I formed you in the womb. Who forms in the womb according to scripture? Let's say it loud, church. Who forms in the womb? God does. David would agree in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, he says this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, that is a poetic way of saying in the depths of the womb, in the darkness of the womb. He says, when you formed me there... 
my bones were not hidden from you. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And church, if we read verses such as that, how can we ever say that a life inside of the womb is not a life? How can we ever look at those verses and say with conviction that there is a point where I'm okay with taking that life and not agreeing with God that he forms it in the womb? Many people have made mistakes and been misled. Here's something I want to caution us to do, church. We need to love on people who have been lost in the lies of the culture. We need to show them the truth of Scripture. We need to show them that their children, the children that have been conceived inside of them, are being formed by God for His purposes, and that we are to celebrate that, and that we're going to help them through the process, whether this pregnancy has taken place in some kind of tragic circumstance, or whether it's happened unexpectedly. We are with you. We are for you. We are for your children. We love your children, and we want to embrace them the way that Jesus does. Amen? Amen. That is the truth. That is the God-honest truth, and Scripture supports this, church. We have had so many little ones born in this church this year. We've had so many little babies that I've had the blessing to hold my arms. I almost, I almost came down and grabbed your baby from you. <laughs> I walked up here like I wanted it so bad. You never know how kids going to react, and I talked about the story at the resort. We don't want anything terrible to happen. But you guys, we love these kids. We love them in the name of Jesus. We love them because they are beautifully designed by him inside the womb. We celebrate that. Church, don't yell and scream and shout at people of this world that have been deceived. Show them the truth. Show them what God's word has said. Let the scriptures give language to what we say and how we act. And in a nation right now where we might see more children be born, are we ready to care for them? Who's ready to adopt? Who's ready to foster? Who's ready to step in the gap for kids that are born into situations that they can't stay? Are we ready to? It's not like, yeah, the church needs to do that. Transform Ministries needs to be ready to take care of little babies. This church needs to be ready to do what is necessary for those who are in our lives to make sure that every kid has a safe and loving home. Amen? We need to be ready. And there are opportunities now. And in the same way that we talked about it earlier, to be equipped and trained and to let that spiritual touch of the heart happen, there are kids who need foster care in our community right now. And some of us need to act. Some of us need to take action and care for them. Who's it going to be? Let it be us. Let it be us because we love children. We love these little ones just as much as Jesus did. And that when people try to keep them from entering the world, we say, no, no way. These kids are loved by God. There's a lot of brokenness around this, and I just want to bring this into the subject matter because it's here as well. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of gals and guys alike who have been broken by their choices to end their pregnancies. Church, we are to love them. We are to restore them. We are to show them that the Lord forgives them in Christ Jesus. We are to bring them to the scriptures and show them that the love of God is for them as well. Amen.
It's just as important. It's just as important. So much damage has been done. We need to be part of the healing. We need to be part of the restoration that God has called us to do. You guys, there are physical lessons here. A physical lesson of little children loved and valued by Jesus. And then the spiritual lesson that gets into the heart. This childlike faith and dependence is essential for salvation. I'll touch on this briefly. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's a pretty tough statement if you read it for what it says. That's a pretty heavy thing to ingest. The point of comparison is not so much the innocence and humility of children. It's the fact that children are unselfconscious. They're receptive. They're content to be dependent on others' care and provision. It's in such a spirit that the kingdom must be received as a gift. Only those who are like children can receive this as a gift and not think that they had something to do with it. Not think that they had something to do to receive it, but that it was given freely by grace. It's a gift of God. It's not an achievement on the part of man. It must simply be accepted by grace through faith in so much as it can never be deserved. It can never be something that we deserved. It's something that's given. Children remind us of that. Little babies remind us of that. This is the spiritual lesson that Jesus teaches us, church. The physical reaction of the disciples revealed something deeper. And as Jesus always is faithful to do, he goes right for the heart. He goes right for the heart. He doesn't just say, stop it, knock it off. Let the children come to me and leave it at that. He says, do you realize how important children are? Let me show you why you don't get it. Let me show you in your heart why you misunderstand. Obviously, what the disciples physically did angered him. However, he doesn't treat the symptoms. Jesus goes for the virus. Jesus is not interested in the symptoms. He goes for the virus because you cure the virus, the person is made whole. And here's the thing. He makes us a new creation, not just a better version of who we were. You are not you 2.0. You don't want to meet Mike 2.0. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what Jesus does. He makes us new. We allow pride to cloud the reality of how we've been saved. We begin to treat others as less significant than ourselves. And as a pastor, I look at ministry and I start to think and I start to assess, have I made the mistake of thinking that the things, the ministries that I care about that connect with me the most are the most important. I start to look at the things that I'm involved with and the things that I do as having more priority than the rest of my staff. That's just my experience. That's what the Lord convicts me of. Do I value the kids' ministry of this church just as much as I value the teaching ministry here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings? Because what's happening downstairs matters just as much. Those kids are being blessed and having the gospel poured into them. They have teachers and they have people that love them and care for them. And I know that going into this fall season, we need more. 
We need more people because we don't want to be a ministry where people get into kids and serving with kids and they never see the light of day again. And you know what that's like. They go into kids ministry. You never get them back. 60 years later, they come crawling out of the basement. And <laughs> this, I mean, seriously, we have all of these, all of these like scripts out there for like zombie movies. This is the one that could happen. Someday, 60 years later, the children's ministry workers emerge from the basement. <laughs> yeah, it's horrifying. So here, <laughs> we're all laughing because it's true. But you guys, here, here's the thing. Here, we try to have enough kids ministry people so that you don't have to be downstairs all the time. We put you on a rotation, and our goal is once a month. So that you serve one time a month, or if we can get there, once every six weeks. So that you actually are up here fellowshipping, but you also have the opportunity to do what Jesus does right here. And that's love and care for the kids. Because they're a joy. Oh, I know, it's messy. But it's worth it. They need blessing just as much as anyone else. They need encouragement just as much as anyone else. And this is how this story concludes in verse 16. Jesus teaches a spiritual lesson, and then after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. In the Greek, taking them in his arms is one word. It's a word we would say is embracing, holding with care. He embraces these kids and the prayer that he prays over them, the blessing and laying his hands on them is in emphatic language. He blesses them powerfully. That should be our heart. You guys, this church is a really special place. I've never experienced coming up on three years of ministry like these three years. You know one of my greatest fears is? Stagnation. Complacency. That we get into a pocket of ministry that we've become comfortable with and we stay there. Thankfully, the Lord put just a little bit of crazy in me. Someone probably shook his hand when he was pouring crazy because I think I got a little extra. You guys, I want to insert enough thought, enough, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I want to insert enough difficulty in our lives, struggle, that we would wrestle with these things. Friction, that's the word I'm looking for. Scripture tells us that iron sharpens iron. Then when we are together and we are doing ministry together and living life together, that we sharpen each other. And I believe that as we come together and as we gather in this place, we need to have conversations about whether we're doing ministry right. Not in a way to judge each other or cast each other off or anything like that. In no way to accuse so that we can grow. So that we can be challenged. So that we can look and say, why are we doing that? Is that what God wants? Is this what the Lord's in right now? And if it is, great. But if it's not, 
Let us come with open hands to every opportunity and say, Lord, thy will be done. You do what you choose to do. Are we spiritually preparing each other to love and care for one another the way that Jesus showed us? And again, I just want to remind you in this text that we see this indignation in Jesus over this situation. And I think that should draw our attention. We need to make sure we're loving kids well. That we're caring for the little ones. We're caring for the babies in this church, the little children, that kids in this church know that they are loved and they are valued because that's how Jesus feels. You guys all are. You're not like, well, they're more loved than I am then. That's not true. That's not true at all. But I think a lot of times because they don't bring something to the table that is of value to us, we disregard them. And we don't value them because they're not able to benefit us maybe in the way that we wish. Let's set that aside. Let's humbly love every single person in this church. Every single from the oldest to the youngest. Let's cherish them. Let's be like Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church, and I love these people. God, I've seen your love in them. I pray, Lord, that not one person here would feel condemned this morning, but that every single one of them would know in this moment that you love them, that you've called them, and Lord, that we've been given different giftings. We've been given different skills by you that we can use for your kingdom. But when it comes to loving one another, we all are called to do that. All in the same breath, we are called to love each other. Jesus, you said it yourself in the upper room that we ought to love one another the way that you love us. Spirit, we need you. We need you to fill us. We need you, God, to pour your, your compassion, your empathy, your grace and your mercy into our hearts. Oh, Lord, we need you so desperately. Teach us more about your love. Lord, we want to celebrate that this morning. We want to celebrate how much you love us. Jesus, as we think on what you did and how you lived, Lord, as we think of you even right now, seated on the throne, Your return, just so near, Lord, we long for your return. But in the waiting and in the preparation of wanting to show people what your kingdom here will look like, Lord, as we are in this this time of waiting, would you keep us busy being examples of you, being image bearers? Would you speak to our hearts Church, let's take a couple, just a few brief moments here with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart, to calibrate you within so that we can physically love and care for those who are around us.